Welcome, adventurer, listener, and kindred soul. You are listening to Starlight, a Dungeons & Dragons space opera podcast on the Ink & Virtue Network. Whether a new friend or an old one, we are glad to have you along for the adventures. The Ink & Virtue Network is dedicated to delivering stories of epic proportions straight to you. Whether it's listening to the impromptu adventures of Squad Luma or diving into the manuscripts of an author, there is something here for everyone. You can support the show by rating it, sharing it with a friend, or finding your way to our network's coffee page where donations help us to keep the magic alive. We appreciate you, and fare thee well, Spacer. Travel safely across the great expanse. Here we go. Roll for initiative. Alright guys, welcome back from our mid-year break. Thankfully, uh, for you guys, it's a little bit cooler. For me here, it's a sweltering 89 degrees, but I got the windows closed tight and I am making this happen for you. And across state lines, I am joined by the one, the only... I wasn't really prepared for that uh, opening. Uh, this is Nathan, I play Atlas. Or hopefully you still play Atlas, we'll see. That's right. That's why we had the, the climax that he ruined. Today we find out if Atlas is going to make it on, or maybe Fable Gloom, or perhaps they'll be retired, and we'll move on to a different story. But, you know, our, our, our hands are tied. But before we move on, I actually want to reach out and say thank you to everyone who helped bring Ascendant to life. The Kickstarter has been done now for uh, probably about uh, a month and a half. And that, my first novel, Epic Fantasy, will be releasing later this year, closer to the end of November, uh, December. Um, but for those of you that supported, I am excited for you to get whatever tier that you selected in your hands in uh, this late October, early November. Um, and then I feel like, I feel like there was something else. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Um, and then... Some of you who are avid listeners might remember this name. A while back on our backstage Q&As, uh, I actually did an interview in one of our community spotlights with a group of creators called Critical Crafting. Uh, for those of you that don't know or didn't listen, the group at Critical Crafting, they started getting into the business of creating D&D supplements, whether that is new classes, uh, feats, abilities, you name it, they work with a wonderful group of artists, um, and then they they come up with all of these new ideas, format them beautifully so it looks just like all of the Dungeons and Dragons books, uh, and you can find them, you know, uh, on their Patreon or at their website. And I'll make sure I have those linked below in the show notes if that interests you. But they reached out to me in anticipation of the Spell Jammer setting 
they created a space setting called the Hollow Expanse. They sent me a, a copy of the PDF of the 64 pages that went into creating the Hollow Expanse from additional m- monsters and all of the things uh, that I listed before. And some of those things are going to actually make their way into this game. So I will make sure that that is linked below if that's something that interests you or you want to look at it. Uh, but before we get started playing, we are actually going to see what we want to bring into the game. I asked the players to maybe look at a few of the things and kind of like if there was anything that jumped out that they wanted to bring into their game. I'm not going to bring all of the aspects into to the game, so I wanted to bring something that excited them into this game. So they're going to pick a few things. I've picked a few things. I won't tell them what I've picked, but I wanted to kind of see what for what Nathan thought would be great. So I asked him to pick three things that could be in a combination of monsters, feats, um, or items that he would like to see f- featured in the game going forward, probably not in the immediacy. And I wanted to just kind of like highlight them, get, get a little read of what they do, a description, um, so that you guys can get an idea of kind of what the folks at Critical Crafting are doing. So, um, Nathan. This is your cue. What three things are you kind of interested in seeing brought into this game? What stands out to me the most that's cool? For some reason, I like it was spaced out of my mind of like, oh, this won't be for a little bit. And then I completely, he asked me to play. I was like, oh yeah. All right, thinking about what my three picks would be, I'd probably say the Wizard Nebulous was honestly caught my attention pretty well. Honestly, I love any spell type spell caster type of class and also too i um i love the kind of premise of like the new ones as such for like the chrono chronologist chrono chronology i don't know how to say it but it's like the time and things that aren't just like elemental based or arcane based so nebulous honestly stood out to me um mm-hmm. and, and i believe the nebulous that that one is focused around a lot more stuff with space travel and the utilization of ships and creating kind of like this bond between them, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's that's something that's really uh, in their in in their setting of the hollowed expanse. The ships are alive like dragons, but in a much more like everyone knows kind of way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, honestly, oh. it, I love the fact that with the nebulous, it because it seems as if it would be kind of. I mean, you could still do it. Obviously, we do it, but having classes for like a space or a space themed D&D um, is definitely helpful and I feel like it gets you more immersed because mm-hmm. um, being able to kind of integrate kind of D&D fantasy to like a space theme um, definitely helps with like immersiveness mm-hmm. the uh, I agree. second thing would be it's a feat it's called hollow touched I was going to say hollow uh, I don't know if it's correct is it no it's hollow it's ho- ho- hollow <laughs> i always get mixed up with those two sometimes um so with the feet you get to increase your intelligence wisdom or charisma score to a maximum of 20 but the thing that kind of caught mm-hmm. my attention was the hollow shift cantrip so what's kind of cool about the whole so basically how i see it is that it allows you to kind of shift not like misty step misty step obviously gives you like the 30 feet and everything but basically you can shift five feet to an unoccupied space you can see it does not provoke opportunity attack, so obviously great for like if a melee unit gets into you with a, like a melee range and you're a spellcaster. Um, you mm-hmm. do have to sacrifice some life force because it is considered a blood magic. 
uh, which is pretty cool because obviously we have a lot of new blood subclasses out here right now uh, that came out and it's 1d4 but honestly 1d4 versus a melee unit hitting you with an opportunity attack is going to be a lot less or a lot more how do i wear that um i'd rather take the 1d4 than take a melee unit's full attack right and it's also a bonus, right? A bonus action for that? Yes, it is a bonus action. And uh, Bard, Sorcerer, Warlock, Wizard. So basically almost every class other than, say, the div Divination classes can use it. Mm -hmm. And it is instantaneous, yeah. And thirdly, the Blank Desolator, which is one of the coolest monsters <laughs> I saw them, saw that they made. It, okay, so the Blank Desolator is, uh, if you don't mind me jumping in. Oh, yeah, in 100%. Here, it, it's this construct, and according to the lore of the Hollowed Expanse, no one knows who's, like, crafted it or created it, or at least it's not well known. And its whole purpose is as things are shifting, as these ships are shifting into the Hollowed Expanse, they, they will seek out and try to destroy them. So these artifacts crafted are there to hunt down the ships. Uh, and Nathan, Nathan, you're looking right at it. Am I, am I on the mark with that? Oh, yeah, it looks fantastic yeah i'd never want yep. to fight it but it looks fantastic so those three things we are going to look to bring into the game going on in the future um oh no all right Wait, guys can i take you back the monster oh no oh no oh no <laughs> i'm not starting to regret my choices now the monster looks awesome though yeah honestly you guys should check it out We'll see if you even live to regret it. So with that, <laughs> okay. as you much this much anticipated episode, we will find out if Atlas makes it and what is going to happen in the future. So why don't we jump into this episode of Starlight? <clears throat> Neuralink, access memories. Accessing paths diverge for Squad Luma and for Atlas. All now hangs in the balance. Falling into a fit of rage, Jorstak piloted the Destiny, Fable Gloom Starship, into the side of Outpost Zula in an effort to incapacitate all within so that he might interrogate everyone at his mercy. But when a series of bad luck afflicts his piloting capabilities, it turns his plan into a ticking time bomb that now leaves everyone dead or on death's doorstep. Now, Atlas fights for his life. Memories. Retrieved. I'm going to do this with Ray too, as she comes back. So uh, maybe start keeping track, but you get one point of inspiration. <laughs> okay. Click that right. <laughs> Let me say plus one inspiration. Remember to remember this sometimes. And, and with that, we jump into complete darkness. As Atlas lies within the smoldering remains of the back room of Outpost Zula. Your perception of everything around you is just a haze with just a slight backdrop of smoke and heat. But for some reason, you can sense that heat kind of starting to drain away. But whether that's whether because... That's because your life force, your life force itself, itself is dissipating, is dissipating. As, you know, as you know it must, it be. must be or if because, or if because something, something is changing, is changing around, around, you, around you well you don't, well, know. You don't know all that matters, all that matters is, the is the here and the now, and the now. three heartbeats pass boom boom 
Ba-bum. Ba-bum. Both you and Fable Gloom are going to make your first life or death saving rolls. For anyone who doesn't know, a life or death saving roll, you need to get three of either, either successes or fails, to live or to die. If you roll anywhere from nine to one, that is considered a fail. Ten and up is a success. Getting a 20 is a complete success, and then you regain consciousness. And so with that, we will make our rolls. Fable Gloom, success. Eight. Further, the heat dissipates even more, and now the extremities are beginning to grow cold. Two heartbeats. Da-dum, da-dum. Go ahead and make a life or death saving throw. Sixteen. Ten. We both have a success. Things start to even out. You can feel the breath kind of rattling over the metal that's in, in implanted in your chest and kind of runs up some of the throat. Or is that bone? Did something puncture you? Then you slip out of consciousness once again. Another breath and another death or life-saving throw. Three. Fable Gloom rolls a ten. Oh. Three successes. He's at zero hit points and stabilized. But of course, you're not aware of this. Do you want to use your inspiration? Mm. Yeah, might as well. Uh, nat 20. Nat 20? Yeah. Immediately, the breath comes back. <gasps> that single heartbeat turns to many. It seems to kind of escalate, escalate, escalate. Your eyes kind of fly open, running through both infrared and then going back to normal. And you can hear the sounds of the wind assailing and hitting the skin. There is a prickle, a sting. The sounds of bots were around you. You then see one come up to your face and scan you. You you kind of growl at it, and it, it zooms off with the... As it goes to attend to the fire that's in the room, you raise your head, you look about, you see multiple of the science outpost drones now spraying this white foam onto the flames that then curl up and then harden in the shape of the flames, putting them out, stopping any of the oil spills. You look over. Bray is nowhere to be seen. There's metal. There's ship bits everywhere. All sorts of strange clutter and clatter. Uh, some of the some of the ceiling has kind of caved in. You were lucky enough to avoid it. Your body isn't trapped under some of the rubble. Part of Fable Gloom's foot is crushed underneath some cement, some rock, and it is a hellish landscape version of what you what you saw where you were fable gloom you see that someone has removed all of any of the armor that he was wearing his body has been stripped completely free of the weapons you look around for yours after a quick minute scan you see your g thrown across the room and wedged into part of the wall the amethyst in it still kind of pulsing like a light purple the contents of your bag and Ray's bag's gone. 
you maybe see one of the bodies of the dwarves, but for the most part, those have, they've been eaten by the flames and their remains have been covered over by this, this, uh, this spray from the drones, encasing them in this half dead kind of repose, uh, almost like as if they were covered in a volcanic ash and then uncovered hundreds of years later. Behind you, you look up the set of stairs, up over the railing, you can see that the door to the rest of Outpost Azula have been, has been blown off its hinges and thrown wide. You try and move up to your, to your knees, and then it is almost as if somebody gripped your chest and just squeezed. Your heart kind of almost feels like it's going to burst. You cringe. I need you to go ahead and roll a die 20 on the lingering injury chart. And I will tell you what your lingering injury is. 11. You cringe and kind of fall back down. Your vision blurs. And you feel as if just that movement, that trying to get your body to move, your body rebelled against you. And now you can feel the source of the pain. It's obviously all over, but you raise a hand up to your face and you can tell that your half of your face has been flayed almost down to the bone parts of the metal and you can feel this this deep injury that runs down just barely avoiding like the major arteries in your neck and out to the side of your shoulder you have gained a horrible disfiguring scar it leaves one of your eyes almost kind of swollen larger than the others it will without surgery leave half of your face kind of like this off color and with the bone growing back weird eventually the horrible scar uh makes it so that you're disfigured to the extent that the wound cannot be easily concealed not only are you are you more likely to be remembered you have now disadvantage on charisma persuasion checks and you have advantage on intimidation checks hmm. and then the knowledge of realizing that Ray isn't below you. You kind of drag yourself around looking for her. She's gone. Nowhere. And you can't help but feel somewhat of that hope that you can't find any identifying parts of her. She must have gotten away. And in that moment of self-sacrifice, that moment of leadership, your character now gains the feat natural leader a natural leader it's in the it's in the hollowed expanse sheet but a natural leader its description goes as such not everyone was born to lead but you aren't just anyone as an action you can inspire up to three creatures other than you that can hear you within 30 feet each creature gains a die 20 which it can use to roll with advantage until it takes a short or long rest in addition, when that creature takes a short rest, and it can expend one additional hit die, as if it was a hit die higher than normal, to help recover health. And once you've used this feature, you cannot use it again until you finish a long rest. And as you do your final sweep of the room, there are two things that catch your eye. First, it is underneath rubble and underneath the table that once held all of the precious gemstones and stuff a 
faint, glowing yellow light. You approach it, carefully lift the, the table. It takes quite a bit of extra energy being at the health that you are, and you find the Ayun Stone that Fable Gloom fished out of Ray's bag that she was keeping hidden to herself. The second thing is you you have felt your left hand clenched to the point where it's bloodless. You relax it, and you look down, and in both flesh fingers and a pointer and middle finger that is completely made of metal, you see that you grasp a completely unscarred, untarnished golden egg. And it has not even the heat as if it's been touched by anything. As you fish out this Ayun shard with the right hand, you are suddenly, it is as if you have been just completely touched by this sharp light that just rockets through your body. And there is almost this knowing. What Fable Gloom once called these Ayun stones, what he did call them, as echoes of gods. It is almost as if now this innate consciousness speaks to you and you gain a somewhat of an understanding of what it does. So glowing a soft golden yellow, this shard holds a fragment of a Ayun crystal's greater power. It gives you, while you, you have to attune to it, and it has three charges, it gives you plus one to your wisdom score. For one charge, you can cast the augury spell. And then for three charges, you can cast the foresight spell. But first, you must succeed on a DC 13 wisdom save or suffer madness for the duration of the foresight. Additionally, not only if you fail that DC 13 wisdom save do you suffer madness, but the foresight spell is also canceled. And the foresight only lasts for 20 minutes. So, basically... It's used to it, this. It, this shard is somehow related to an entity that once had to do with time. <laughs> I'm gonna collect them all and become Thanos. <laughs> you look over and you see Fable Gloom's chest rise and fall, somehow miraculously still breathing. First, he's gonna go over, pull his G out the wall. Alice is gonna see and. Get a good look at what uh, Fable Gloom actually looks like. As you look closer at Fable Gloom's body, you see that he adorns no shirt, and that where there once was a sash of gray that was once wrapped around his midriff, it has been singed and almost burned into his skin. Almost become it has now become a part of him. He wears plain trousers that are also a darkish gray, but has a line or a trim of gold that runs down the seams. His body is built of long, stringy, but strong muscles. He has hands that are built very much like a, 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 a normal human's hands, except that there are no fingernails on the end, just kind of the fingers come to a fleshy point as if almost the bone is trying to pierce free of the skin you see that his skin is a sallow yellow and it is covered from the 
from the shoulders that wrap around to the back and come down over uh, a chest that is devoid of nipples that he's covered in these brown freckles that also run up the back of his neck and on top of a bald head. The face is bony, angular, and a bit elongated on the top. Ears that remind you of elves kind of twitch just unconsciously as your footsteps come closer. And in that way, it reminds you of a dog that can move its ears and swivel it in directions. The eyes are sunken, closed, his dark eyebrows he has hard lines from a man who's used to who's used to looking at things very intently judgmentally there is no nose but rather slits like a snake no lips but a a downturned frown and just the sides of his face on both right and left are long whiskers of hair that come down and are have been tied in a knot with its own with its own thread on either side the feet are clawed and other than that he is much less imposing than when he was in his suit of armor this you have never seen anything like this and probably from guess you would probably guess it's a tiefling of some sort but again, you've never seen a tiefling made like this. Hmm. Alice will check to see if he's still alive. There is a faint heartbeat. Just barely. Can I see to the outside if anything's like any ships or anything's outside? The entire southern wall is completely destroyed. Okay. And then about three-fourths of the roof are completely just... It's just blown off. The outside is... It looks like it's whipping into somewhat of a storm. Not super bad, but you can feel the winds picking up. And it is that kind of pinkish orangish glow. Uh, like when you first broke into the atmosphere of Eris. Alice will tap Fable Gloom with his G. The back end of it. There's no response in the first one. Second one, there's like a... And the third time, there's a... His eyes kind of flare open, and you see these yellow irises that look up at you. Constraint confusion. And then suddenly, as this, it all dawns on him, he kind of throws himself around, and he tries to pull himself free, but his foot is still trapped. And then words come out of his mouth, words that you can't understand. As he says, his hands kind of run to his neck. And you can see there is a small puncture just above where the Adam's apple of his neck would be, where you would guess that at some point, probably in his helmet that was taken, there was a vocabulator that allowed him to translate his word. Even now, as you hear his voice, his voice is... It's less mechanical. It's less. It has less of a like increased projection to it. And now, there's both panic, maybe just the edges of fear. As he realizes he can't communicate, he has no weapons, and he's at your mercy. Mm. He points to the to the thing at his foot and <laughs> tries to move it, but he can't. Oh, I can't understand him. 
how big is the thing on his uh, foot? It's not too big. As you oh. make a closer inspection, what you see is the equivalent of almost like a rebar reinforcement is attached to this large block of stone, and it comes out both sides. And like a spear, it's driven through his foot with the weight of this, the block on it. Mm, nice, nice. All right, Alice will put uh, his G, like the handle, into his mouth horizontally. He's slow to respond, looks at you, looks at it, understands what you're saying, and he bites yeah. onto Alice it. Alice will put it like <laughs> a thumbs up. Yeah, and then he's going to go over to the... Go over to it and try to uh, pull and lift it out. And he's going to also put it, like, like not that much weight, but he's going to put, it, like, his foot slightly on uh, Ibogum's, like calf or like shin just so it doesn't okay. get pulled up with it so go ahead and make a uh, make an athletics check 18 as you lift it up with a you throw it to the side and I'm gonna roll a endurance check for Fable Gloom his eyes roll into the back of his head he blinks and he shakes it off his chest rises as he examines his foot and you see it the entirety of that left foot is completely crushed and crashed the skin has turned a dark kind of muddy brown he's missing a few toes it's very obvious that if this foot heals he may never walk on it right again and he points outside realizing you can't understand he tries to pull himself up to his feet and as he does he kind of leans onto you to pull himself up and then he tucks the bad foot just up from the ground has one hand on some of the rubble that's fallen to support himself he just looks at you all right well i don't understand what you're saying but first we should probably get healed up a little bit or at least try to get things stable enough to travel. And then, uh, do I remember when we went through the ship at all? If there's any type of, like, medical bay or anything? Or was it just kind of... We didn't go over there. Which one? The... Sorry. The dragon? No, the, uh... Like the... Where we're at right now. Fable? The building. No, so you didn't go through mm. the building. There's much of the building that you didn't explore, actually. Yeah. Alice is going to use his tail to, like, wrap it around him. And, like, kind of put his thumb and, like, point at his back, kind of, in a sense. And give him, like, this weird piggyback ride. But Alice wants his hands free. He's afraid that you're, like, because it has, like, almost blades on the end. And he's, like, afraid he's going to get cut up. Yeah, it does. And then he realizes you're, you're moving it very gently. And, yes, it does cut the skin a little bit. But you settle it in a way. So it's almost like he's resting on the flat of the blades. Mm-hmm. And he realizes this and he kind of settles down and almost a, a little Yoda-esque kind of puts a hand up on your shoulder. There we go. And then obviously I'll use my G as like a walking stick. Gonna go kind of trek through the, the base and see if he can find any medical supplies or well, anything at this point. So as you start to make your way up these the, the stairs that are on uh, that lead up out of the room and into the rest of the base 
the door, you step over this stone door, and it's almost like you're stepping into an entirely different building. Once more, you are you are out of this temple-like room and into a a world of futuristic metallic hallways and sterile lights. There are walls that are made of, you know, colors that aren't naturally found, that have entire tops that instead of being solid are glass that allow you to look into the rooms. And all that you, you know, as you leave the sound of the whistling wind and the building storm outside, you are met by the dying alarm bells of the automated building of the outpost. And eventually that dies away and all that's left is a sound of footstep footstep clink footstep footstep clink there are many doors and many ways and avenues by with which you can go but you're the only one left at least that's living you and fable gloom and so you're able to take your time i want you to go ahead and roll a investigation roll a little minus one not too bad not too bad except when you roll a two uh that'll be one oh you look around you find some very basic things but it looks like a lot of stuff got kind of like thrown asunder of, of the base there are lights that flicker you do find an emergency beacon but your injuries that makes it so that you spend getting close to an hour sifting through things and having to take breaks it's really more of the taking breaks that's, that makes it take an hour if you want to look again, the only thing that I'm counting against you is I'm raising the DC up by two. So the DC is now going from 13 to 15. And the other factor against you is time. Okay. Fable Gloom now is kind of realizing what you're doing. Not necessarily what you're looking for, but he is also going to roll uh, investigation roll. Or he's helping you look for stuff so you can roll with advantage on it can i see any bots there's plenty yeah I grab one yeah so there's one that's kind of like just floating through the hallways just you reach out grab it thing and you pull it towards you it has these two sensors register on your face meds health make it persuasion roll <laughs> a five and it kind of shakes free of your hands and starts going back down the hallway. I don't even have the energy to destroy it. Alright, I'm just gonna do the investigation again and we'll see. 16. No, sorry, 15, because I have minus one. As you continue on, you do eventually find a, 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 a room. You open it up. A lot of the... Uh, machinery and stuff has like toppled over and it's like sorting through it like a child's room that's been thrown asunder but it's all medical equipment and and other things but what you find is one med kit you find five greater flesh sprays as you continue searching your way through you know the bunks of the of the place of the the mess hall and the various storage rooms you realize that this is a place that's been outfitted to survive in you find rations and but you also find quite a few things that are uh, interesting, so to speak. One such thing that you find is a a monocle of X-ray vision. You find a a credit stick that has one hundred and fifty thousand credits on it. Ooh. You find 
something called an autocartographer. And then you also find, it looks like at one point it was on a desk and it fell over, and it's in one of the bunk rooms, but it's one of the bigger bunk rooms. You don't know who it belonged to, but you would guess it was someone of importance. You find a, a hollow record that someone or something recorded, and this person took the time to put this hollow record into a, a box that was made of like a, a strong outer casing. It wasn't locked, but it was obviously of something of importance. So, so while you're wearing the monocle, you can use an action to turn it on. And when you do so, you can see through solid matter for uh, up to a minute. And it has a radius of 30 feet. That requires uh, an attunement. You're, you're tuning that to you. And then, where is it? The autocartographer. That is a unique starlight item. And so basically, it's the cartographer. It is a square uh, box with a bunch of buttons on it. You activate it. And then there's a chute that opens and thousands upon thousands upon thousands of these like nanobots come out and it looks like a cloud of dust that goes out across the land. The nanobots um, can map like up to a mile of anything. So you, you can use it while you're exploring the land and it will tell you like the terrain. Um, you can use it in a way of like, if you want to like say, get like almost like get an idea of like what's in a place It'll like map out a building for you. It doesn't map out living things or anything of that nature, though. Okay. So, Alice will put Fail Gloom down, and then I'll just use the med kit actually on him. As it starts to spray and starts to kind of close up any of the wounds that he had, and he nods his head, signs what you're pretty sure is some sort of thanks. After you spray him, he, he looks around and he finds like a something that can function as a crutch. And he, he sprays the last of the flesh spray on his foot and he can gingerly walk on it, but you know every step he takes, he's going to pay for it later. And But he, he insists on walking himself about. You feel Fablegloom reach to your elbow Hands that you were sure were strong once are as weak as an old man's at this moment. And he... And he says that once more. And you can see he's pulling at the arm that is still clutching the egg. I don't know what you're saying, but I'm not giving this to you. He he points at it and he points down the direction of the entrance. He points once more to the the entrance to leave. How, during my searches and everything, have I kind of noticed if we have like a ship still available or a dragon? Uh, yeah, I would say at one point you, you got to the front, you saw that Ostrage dragon was still out there. Okay. Of course, Jorstak's little fighter's gone. I will load up Babel Gloom and the dragon. Also, while I'm walking up to it. Atlas, because he's obviously worn out, he's just going to like gently pat the dragon's like his face or the front. And then he'll go back for a decent amount of rations.
then uh, look back one more time to the the base and kind of I like a mini flashback of everything that's happened and get on the ship see where's what like basically what happens next Finally, it's the morning of the third day. You hear the transmission get picked up. Sending codes back over Atlas Kashin. This is Drake Varnon reaching out to you. We got your signal of distress. What can we do for you? I need you to get a hold of uh, Science Officer Gwyneth Watson and see if she can, one, if you can pinpoint a location for me for a, probably a day or two out travel of some type of satellite or base and have her meet me there with supplies for medical emergencies and mechanical procedures. Your requests are being forwarded. Uh, you'll be well assured we'll send you from coordinates. Until then, travel safely. It's a couple hours later in that day when you eventually get a ping with some coordinates. It looks like Given the time that it's going to take for Guinevere to travel out to meet you versus when you just left, you'll be a day out from Ballastar and she'll be traveling. In. I'll just explain the situation to uh, Fablegloom and uh, just tell him we're going to be heading over to one of our bases or somewhere to stay for a second and then we're going to get patched up. From there, we might be able to also get something. Oh, that's what I forgot to do. Well, we'll see how lucky we are. Get something to where you can communicate with us. And uh, figure out what to do from there. He raises an eye at you from his bed. The bed that is soaked with his sweat. And he just sighs and rolls over, caught in the middle of a really high fever. The rest of the travel goes by just very boring but it's a, it's a nice change from everything that had happened when you finally get the ping as you see as you see a starship coming up your way it's silver it's sleek it almost looks like a bullet with two jet engines coming off both sides of the ship and you it is able to kind of move up to the dragon and go into a sequencing where it allows the party to board onto the ship 
Fable Gloom is still out of commission in his room. You hear the sounds of uh, footsteps coming in, and right away you see Guinevere, and she is just looks. She's red in the cheeks. Her hair is in disarray, and she just. You couldn't stay safe for one moment, one simple trip, and this is... On the table, soldier, on the table. And you see her just drop a bag on the side with a whoosh, and it's just filled with all sorts of, like, supplies that fall out, but also tools meant to, like, work on, like, vehicles. Like, it's like a, a nightmare to a normal person. And as she's, like flustered and getting you to sit down she she's kind of just like you can't have you go anywhere you know i'm i'm gonna get you put on the leave if you you, you keep doing this to me how do i look <laughs> i look over to her with like the side of my face it's all uh torn up that stops her entire conversation her mouth drops and she puts one hand up to the face, kind of runs a, a hand through it, and just under her breath, you hear her say, Gods, what have they done to you? Before uh, you start making me pretty again, um, I was thinking, I kind of uh, I kind of like this new look, but uh, if you can make it a little less uh, eyeball sticking out, that would be nice. I'm glad I brought him. This is beyond me. Oh, her hands trace down the scar to like, chases it down to the the shoulder, kind of dabs at some of the blood that's caked on there and other things. And immediately you see her go into work mode, and she goes, "I'm glad I brought him." And as she says that, you hear the sound of a cane walking from the other ship, as a figure with a limp enters the room. You see. A familiar figure, a figure who, in this portion of your life, ever since you became Atlas, is the closest thing to a father figure that you've had. The man who found you on the battlefield and saw the worth and the value in you and brought you back to the Kashin and is the one who made you into what you are with the help of Guinevere. You see, the chief science officer... Zagura Kashin. He is a human male, and though you know he is in his mid-50s, he looks like he is nearing in the 80s. He is, in the few months since you last saw him, as he's been off, you know, overseeing this project and that project, it looks like something has aged him just considerably. His back kind of has a slight bow to it. Most of the hair has fallen out of his head though he he keeps kind of like this like this thin wispy comb over of black hair he has a cane that looks like it was hand carved out of cherry wood and the top part of it has three faces but all of them kind of look like they're in some form of like anguish and despair crooked hands hold on to it he has a frail body with these kind of blue pants short traditional style like slippers that are black with a gold buckle on them a white uh, science officer's outfit and the only thing that he ever wears that somewhat is somewhat of a distinguishing feature uh, in terms of 
you know, showy or flashy is a simple ring that marks him as the brother to the boss father, Hiruzen Kashin. Zaguru looks at you, and a smile widens across his face, and he says, Atlas, my son! Takes steps forward, and he goes, It's been too long since we last spoke. And once again, you prove why it was a most wondrous choice to take you from that battlefield. If they left you this way, I wonder how you left them. Guinevere, shall we put him back together? And uh, the two begin to work on you. I kind of want to keep the scar, or if we can do some uh, fixes to it. Guinevere doesn't look happy about it. In fact, she has a bit of a pout as you kind of, like, say that. She just <sighs> shakes her head. But Zaguru goes, I understand. A warrior looks the part. Uh, you are ever like my brother. And indeed, it is surprising to me that you are not of the first dawn yet. But yes... I can probably even make it the pain ease a little bit more as he he holds up a syringe that has about like two inches <laughs> of needle as he then slams it into the side of your neck with a <laughs> that, you know, after like the immense pain that it causes, it numbs everything so that you feel more of like tugging on the skin as he begins working and scraping out the flesh and stuff like that, popping the eyeball in. Tell me, my boy. Not much reaches me while I'm out overseeing some of our experiments and working with some of the other Acer families. How have things been? Guinevere has told me some of your exploits, but I would rather hear it from you. I'd say the most recent events have been a little tough, I'd say. But... I have a team, or I had a team, for a good amount of time that seemed we could all click together and work together on certain certain tasks and assignments. Do you fear that you lost them? I haven't seen one in a very long time, and the other... The other... I actually don't know where she ended up. 
So neither are dead. One is gone. From your tone of voice, AWOL, perhaps? And the other is... Missing. Not dead. All in life finds its way. Patience. You have a team. Can I ask you an odd question? He doesn't look up from his work, but he just simply nods. If you had, say, the opportunity... I don't know really what your view on the world is anymore, but... Would you use power in the sense of being able to destroy all of your enemies with no fear of them retaliating or would you try to just protect what you have as we are taught things done in anger and rage and retribution are often the destroyers of our own soul the question is from where does this root if it is from the wrong place and you seek out retribution you must be prepared to let your soul fall into pieces along the way in protecting what you have there is only nobility but ah there's kind of a dark look that runs through his his eyes for a second but sometimes we are also pushed along the way. This power that you have, when you say destroy so much, everything, where does that begin and where does it end? I believe it would begin with everyone that's causing either unwanted chaos or either looking down or how would I put it almost just depressing or ruining other people's lives taking advantage of them look at the experiments or different methods and honestly it would just end with when they're all gone when any type of person who I don't know how to put it not really one for these deep thinking thoughts basically when all threats are eliminated that would be when it ends all threats you must remember at their most simple founding are just weapons and in order to eliminate those things you will be a weapon I'm not here to tell you what is right or wrong but when you have succeeded in this goal if you do the last weapon standing will be you think on that and what you will do with yourself after that point if that is the foundation on which you live, then what life do you have after that? What choices will you make? 
but I understand what you are saying. And sometimes, oftentimes, a man must follow the destiny set before him. He sets a hand on your shoulder. And, you know, it's been many hours of talk at this point. You can tell he's like, he, you can still talk to him. He's just, he's, but he's, he's done working on you, both him and Guinevere. Guinevere is kind of at the side, like helping to clean up the tools as you guys are talking. Ass will sit up and if there's a mirror anywhere around, he's going to get a good look at himself. Guinevere holds up a mirror and she goes, there it is. <laughs> Your damn scar, just like you want, you fool. And she shows you, and you can tell that, oh, yeah, this is going to turn into a great scar. Most of your body is covered in bandages and gauze at this point. Zuguru says, if you don't mind, I would like to go see to this companion of yours and make sure that he doesn't decease. An interesting specimen, that. I haven't seen a Githyanki in a long time. If possible, too... Would you be able to have some type of way where he can communicate? He lost some of his equipment, so he, uh, I can't understand him. Things on it, and he says, I can fashion something up. Yes, that would be good. If he cannot speak our language or anything in the middle of it, it would be good to be able to know what's on his mind. And, uh, as he walks away, you see the back of his arm is covered in these red lesions, almost cancerous looking, as they run up the back of the forearm and all the way like up behind the sleeve of his shirt. You see that, but then you also hear, it's almost like a sound that's etched in your mind, just the sound of the cane, just just echoing as he walks away. I'll look over to Guinevere and ask her, uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, how do I look? You look like a damned fool, is what you look like. But a lot better than dead. Yeah, a lot better than dead. I'd look at you. I'd choose to look at you like this than, than dead. So, uh, what's going on with the pops? I, I really don't know. I asked him about it and he wouldn't even let me run scans on it. Earlier when you were talking to her, she almost seemed like she was like, at one point close to being in tears, seeing the state that you were in. And this is a welcome distraction as you change the subject to Zaguru. Doesn't look good though. And he's, he's not the same. He, right about the time you left your assignment, what, almost a year ago now? Was it a year ago? About that time that you left, he left to go oversee some projects joint projects with other acers and weapons testings and works and stuff like that and well i don't know if there was an accident or something but he's not been the same he i mean you saw him he looks he looks older than he used than he was and i worry for him every day 
And with him, he says he's not sick, but I know the eye of someone who's sick. And with him and with the boss father also falling ill, and I just wonder what what the future is for the Kashin. What, what's next? What's going to happen? So, same sort of question to you, Guinevere. I'll make it a little bit less touchy-feely. If you could destroy all of your enemies, whether or not instantaneously or easily, or would you want to passively just protect the people you care about from them? Unlike Zaguru, who took some time to think about it, as she, she heard it earlier, she says, I would never choose to go after my enemies unless I had to. And even then, I, 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 don't, I don't know. Because I don't know if I could live with myself doing what needed to be done. I wouldn't do it. If life is so bad that you had enemies, I would I would take me and my own and I would make a new life somewhere safe. And and if they came after me there, well then that's that's that, but Atlas, if I know that you're filled with pain and with rage and I see it, I really do. I've seen it since the first day. If you continue the cycle of violence, It'll never end. Someone has to put their foot down and say enough. If you kill all of those, those, whoever your enemies are, well then their children and their children's children are just going to continue the feud. I don't do this job because I want to make weapons that kill people. I do this job because I hope that one day Something will be so scary that just the idea of it will end it all. Nobody will want to be the deterrence that causes peace. Atlas will uh, pat her on the shoulder and say that I hope you can stay that way. That's why you're one of the good ones. Hopefully in the time to come, you won't think differently of me. So when you pat her, she reaches a hand up and holds the top of your hand in place. The only things I've thought of you ever was how strong and how courageous you were to choose the next day. People who've gone through what you have would have ended it a long time ago. Atlas, you astound me. And don't ma- I'm not going to repeat this to you again. So you get this through that thick head of yours... But you astound me, you amaze me, you inspire me. And if I seem worried, it's because I'm scared for you. You can be one of the good ones too. You are one of the good ones. And she looks down the hallway, makes sure Zaguru is not coming back, looks at you. Forget your enemies. If you do that, I promise I'll forget mine. I'll forget all of this. Then you and I, we can leave. We can leave it all behind. You say that I'm the good one for, for this. I say you are one of the good ones. 
you and I, we can walk away. We can, we can go start our lives all over somewhere else. What do you think? Damn, this is emotional. This is emotional, okay. Alice will, like, look to her affectionately as much as he can and say, I really wish I could. There are things that must be done. And then he's gonna, like, he's just gonna give her, a, like, a long kiss to the forehead and kind of just hold her there and then uh, tell her that when I've finished everything and if you don't think of me any differently... Which I won't blame you if you do. Then I'll actually think about it. And give it an opportunity. I want you to go ahead and... With all of that... But you can roll a... I actually just want you to roll a charisma roll. Okay. Twelve. She lets you... Kiss her on the forehead. The moment is long. She puts both hands around you and pulls you into a... A short but passionate embrace. And then that moment is gone almost as if an instant, as if it's been torn away too quick. She reaches up, touches your face, and she says, You're a damn fool. But she says it with a hint of a smile. Now I'm going to go help Siguru. Make sure that this damn, what do you call it? A a gith? It's fine. It's fine. And then she, right before she goes, because when she mentioned the uh, that I'm a damn fool, while she's going, Alice is gonna, he's gonna say, and <laughs> I feel so cringy saying it. <laughs> and that's why you love me. There's like a half choked laugh at your your ridiculousness as she walks out, and leaving you alone in the room. You pull up the mirror one last time to check out the handiwork of the two. And it's it's pretty good. Except you notice one thing. Where her fingerprints were, where she touched you, you see your blood that must have been on her fingerprints just kind of left on the side of your cheek. And, uh, I don't know, that's probably a good place to call out of that. <laughs> go out of that scene. I just feel bad. Like... Ah. <sighs> Your boy Alice has stuff to do. He can't live. He the can't live the high life and run off. Can't settle down. Run away to the sunset. Honestly, Alice would have lost his mind if he just at this point in time, if he were to like run off, he probably reg- he'd yeah. have so many regrets. Um, and with that, we'll call that a uh, an episode. And so, thank you guys for patiently waiting. We're glad to have Atlas back. Yeah. What do they? What do the kids call this? Oh, they call it uh, shipping. <laughs> yeah. Ship characters. So <laughs> hey, honestly, for anyone listening, if you guys can in the comments, let me know: should Alice have run off to the sunset, or did I make the right choice? I have a feeling that people are like, he should have run off, but we want more story, <laughs> so <laughs> this is better. Uh, but yeah, guys, thank you for listening, and we will be back next week. Until then, see you later, spacers. Oof. <laughs> All right. Dude, that was good. I like that. Got to see a softer side of Atlas. and It only takes getting blown up by a ship. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for listening to this episode of Starlight. 
We hope this show brings you as much joy as it does for us to craft it. Significant effort on the order of 10 to 30 hours of editing goes into each episode, and though it is something we will do regardless, any support goes a long ways. If you would like to support the show, here are a few tangible ways in which you can. Rating it 5 stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Podchaser helps grow the show and allows us to broaden the audience to spacers who don't know their fans yet. Sharing it with friends or family does the same. And if you wish to donate to help keep our running costs low, you can do so at Coffee in the links below. Last but not least, a simple word of kindness and encouragement to our email below is enough to keep us going no matter what. Have a question or thought that you wish to be aired? Please reach out to us at thestarlightadventures at gmail.com or our social media on Instagram at starlight.adventures. Now, until next time, spacers. Spacers.